Thank you, Lord, that you are the way maker. The one who has made it possible for us to be in your presence. That Jesus, without you, we are nothing. And just as Oliver so wonderfully put it, we are totally indebted to you. You bought us a cost that cost you your life. You believed I was worth it. Each one of us was worth it. And so you did it, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that you have made the way for us. Thank you that we can be in your presence at all times. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Wonderful to worship together. Worship in spirit and in truth. We sing about God. We sing the truth of God. That's the truth. And we worship from the depths of our, our souls. Last week, Jill spoke about David and Goliath as she continued the lessons from the Life of David series that we are busy with. Jill challenged us to face, to fight, and to finish the Goliaths through the power of God in our lives, just as David did with Goliath. He faced him, he fought him, and he finished him. Now, one part of the account that Jill did not touch on, that I want to touch on briefly, before looking at David and Jonathan, which is what we're looking at today, is the part where Saul gives David his armor to wear to go and fight Goliath. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. 1 Samuel 17, 38 and 39. Now there are a few reasons why David could not wear Saul's armor. If you remember, when Saul, that Saul was a very tall man, a head taller than every, everyone else when he was chosen to be king. That's how he stood out above everyone else. And yet David, at this time, is a young boy at most 12 years old. And as the armor was made to fit Saul and not David, it would have been far too big for him. When we are facing our Goliaths and preparing to fight them, we need to make sure that we are wearing the armor God has made for us and not try and put on someone else's armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your, your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. <clears throat> in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, 
praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Isn't that an amazing promise? That shield of faith that we can pick up. It extinguishes the darts, flaming darts of the evil one. If you know anything about Roman history and the the Roman soldiers, um, their shields had a leather covering on the front of them, and they used to soak that in water so they were wet when they went in. So when fiery arrows were fired at them and they hit their shield, the water on there quenched the the, the fiery darts, the fiery arrows. So it's just a wonderful description that is being given of um, how the enemy comes against us and yet making it real to the people of that time. Uh, This is something that they, they would have known about. Many of us don't know, didn't know that or won't know about it. But we are to pick up the shield of faith. We are to put on the full armor of God. So when you're going through a tough time and you ask people to pray for you, you need to make sure that you're also praying for yourself and your situation. You cannot just rely on the armor provided by others to protect you. You need to make sure you put on your own armor as you fight your spiritual battles. Yes, it is good to ask others to pray for us when we're going through tough times, but we need to make sure that we too are praying for ourselves and our situations and not relying just on the prayers of others, as powerful and as effective as they are. Scripture tells us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful. If we do not put on the whole armor of God, we leave ourselves open and vulnerable to the enemy and his schemes. And he's coming against us all the time. He doesn't like it when we are going for God. He wants to distract us, disturb us, and take us down. So I just wanted to mention that before getting into the main part of my message on David and Jonathan. So we need to go back to the David David and Goliath situation and read some more from there. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Isn't that an amazing picture? It's just amazing. quite gruesome. He's carrying him by, just grabbing him by the hair and he's walking back to the king. Like, this guy who was standing against us for 40 days, this is what God's army can do to him when you stand in the power of God. And like, plonks the head down and uh, says, there he is. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. 1 Samuel 17, 55 to chapter 18, verse 2. Now we know David had already been in the presence of Saul because David played his instrument, whether it's a harp or lyre, depending on which version of, of the Bible you re, uh, translation of the Bible you're reading. And he worshipped before God to soothe Saul when the evil spirit came to torment him. So we know David had already been in his presence. But Saul asked this question about David. He was asking about his family background, 
not so much who David is, but who is he? What is his family background? What is his pedigree, basically? He's wanting to know. What's his social status? He wanted to know these things about David before he asked David's father to let him keep him permanently in his household. He wanted to know that he was getting a young, reliable man, not someone of shifty character or from a bad family. But even though you can get good people coming out of bad families, it doesn't mean like all people who come in a bad family are bad. Um, he wanted to know more about David and his background. That's what he's asking, like, not who is he. Because he would have seen him, but he might not have known his name. He just knew he was the one that played when he was being tormented. And we see at this time that there's an instant connection between Jonathan and David, a friendship, a bond that is from the heart, a soul-to-soul connection. It's the type of bond or friendship that is difficult to explain, but happens maybe just a few times in your life. There are some people that you instantly connect with from the first time you meet them. Now, I see it, and I'm sure many of you see it as well, in the friendship between Jill and Jan. There's a special bond that God has put between them right from when they first met. There was just a knitting of their hearts. And I have a a pastor friend um, from Canada who came out to Malawi for a year. He and his wife came out with their family to take over a church just for a year while the pastor who led that church went back to Canada for, um, on long leave. He hadn't had leave for years, and he went back for the year. And Don and Mary Eve came out to Malawi, and Don and I just connected when we, when we met, from the first time we met. And even though we don't see each other regularly or, or speak regularly, like Jill and Jan do, um, there's just something about our friendship. We just have this connection. There's a bond that's hard to explain. And we've met up a few times since we've, both families have left Malawi, And it's when we connect, when we get together again, it's like we've never been apart. It's like we were together yesterday, and we connect. And every now and again, we'll exchange messages, or we'll have a brief chat with one another, but there's just a a bond between the two of us that was a connection that's hard to explain, that we just connected. There was something about us. I mean, we are similar age, and we do the same thing, but there's just something there about that connection. And I pray that you all have someone in your life that you have this type of bond with, that there's somebody you can connect with, there's somebody that when you get together with them, they encourage you and uh, envision you and bless you, and you do the same for them. So then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. 1 Samuel 18, 3 to 4. Now there are a number of years that between verses 2 and verses 3 and 4 of chapter 18 that we've just read. This exchange does not happen directly after David has come back from killing Goliath. It isn't straight away. Yes, David goes with Saul into the palace, into his home, and he is there. And this is after Saul has taken him back. And he's been living in that household for a number of years. David has grown from a boy into a young man who's old enough to go and fight. The knitting of the souls happened right after David killed Goliath, but the making of the covenant and the giving of the robe, the armor, the sword, the bow, and the belt happened a number of years later. We know this has to be a number of years later for a number of reasons. 
Firstly, as a boy, David not, would have not been able to make a covenant as he was not an adult. Secondly, Jonathan's armor would once more have been too big for David, the shepherd boy. But as a young man, his armor would have fitted David. And thirdly, we read in 1 Samuel 18.5, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. King Saul would not have set, sent David out to fight battles and set him as the leader over the men of war, the army, while he was still a shepherd boy. No matter that he had slain Goliath with just a sling and a stone, he would not have done it. So David was not this young shepherd boy anymore. A number of years had passed. And this bond that was right from that time was still there and was even greater. And it's then that a covenant is knitted. So at this time, I don't believe that Jonathan knew that David was anointed to be the next king, although he would have known that he was not going to be the next king because of what Samuel had said to his father as he would have been present at those times. What Jonathan does here by giving the robe, armor, sword, bow, and belt to David is part of the covenant exchange that takes place between two people of equal standing making a covenant. Part of making a covenant between two people of equal standing is the exchange of their possessions, making them available for one another, making it available, one person to the other person, by declaring, all that I have, I give to you, and then demonstrating it by exchanging some material possessions. Here, Jonathan is demonstrating this exchange by giving David his robe, armor, sword, bow, and belt. You'll see later as we go through this series how this covenant between Jonathan and David is upheld and plays out even beyond the death of Jonathan with his son Mephibosheth. In the natural, this looks like a normal exchange of possessions as part of the covenant made between Jonathan and David. But there is more to it than what meets the eye. There is a supernatural exchange that takes, that takes place between Jonathan and David, where Jonathan is declaring and demonstrating unknowingly the transfer of the kingship from himself and his family line to David and his family line. There's this transfer that's taken place with Jonathan not even realizing it or knowing it, that David is the next anointed king. He's already been anointed, and he is the next king. This bond and relationship that there is between Jonathan and David is the type of bond and relationship that God offers to us through Jesus Christ. Just as we've celebrated communion, we've been made even more aware of that. Because in communion, we remember what Jesus did for us. God makes a covenant with us that is not between two people of equal standing, but rather it's more like a covenant that is made between a king and his subjects. He gives us more than what we can ever give him. In fact, we can give him nothing. Jesus wants us to have the same type of bond with him, where we connect with him and love him, because he first loved us and has made a way for us to be in a relationship with him, like Jonathan and David had, but an even better relationship. Jesus gives us his kingly robe, his righteousness, his purity. He gives us his sword, his bow, and his belt, his strength and protection. In exchange for what? 
What can we give to Jesus that compares to what he gives us? We have nothing that we can give to him that compares to what he gives to us. All we have is our sinful, selfish, pitiful lives. No matter how good, how much good we do or how good we've been, we do not have anything to give that comes close to what we receive from Father God through Jesus Christ. God wants our lives, not our possessions, our strength or our abilities. He doesn't want those because he's the one who gave them to us. He gave us our possessions, our strength, and our abilities in the first place. Rather, he wants us to realize and recognize that in and of ourselves, we have nothing to give in exchange for what he gives us, except to have a living relationship with him through Jesus Christ. The only thing we can give to him is our lives to say, we want this living relationship with you, through Jesus Christ. Now after this covenant exchange between Jonathan and David, when Jonathan looked at David, he saw himself in David because he was wearing Jonathan's robe and armor. Likewise, when Saul looked at David, he too would initially see his son Jonathan until he looked closely and then he would see it was David dressed in Jonathan's robe and armor. And when God looks at us, does he see Jesus in you or covering you because you have cloaked yourself in Jesus by receiving him as your Lord and Savior. Have your sins been exchanged for Jesus' righteousness and your life is no longer your own but is given fully to Christ Jesus. This is the offer that God makes to us. We exchange our sinful and selfish lives for a new and abundant life in Jesus Christ. Now, if you've not received the new and abundant life that God offers you through Jesus Christ, you can receive it today. In a moment, we are going to pray. Now, if you're in the hall while we are praying, keep your heads down while we're praying. But if you want to indicate that you want to exchange your life for a life of fullness in Jesus, then just keep your head up so I can see that. If you're watching online now, um, live, or of a recording of this message later on, send an email to office at gracevineyard.co.uk or go onto the church website, www.gracevineyard.co.uk and fill in the form at the bottom of the page to contact us and we will be in touch with you. Let's pray. As we bow our heads, let's pray. And if you're here and you want to say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then just keep your head up and look at me as we pray. Thank you, Father. You are the God who knows us so well. You are God who gave us everything through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you and exchange our lives for the life that you have promised us. You gave up your life, everything, and took on my sin, took on all that I have done that is wrong, and you've forgiven me. You've forgiven each one of us, that our sins are forgiven. And I thank you that we can receive this forgiveness 
as we come to you and just confess our sins. So I thank you, Lord, for that. And I just pray now that you would continue to speak to us through your word, through all that we do as we worship you, and you would bless us. And Father, I thank you for those who do not know you, but have decided to come to you. They want to know you. I thank you, Lord, for that, that you will change lives through this message, because it's your word, not mine. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Some discussion questions. Um, first one, as normal, what stood out for you in this message? And then secondly, when you are facing attacks from the enemy, how do you go about putting on the whole armor of God? Discuss, to share with others what you do. And thirdly, have you given your all to God in exchange for a new life in Christ? Or are there still parts of your life that you still hold on to? Share if you are able to. And then pray for one another. And can I just suggest that we don't sit in big groups so that when you are um, discussing and there's questions you want to share, you can get through them a little bit quicker. And uh, we can do that. And for those that are online, thank you for being with us. And I trust that you can discuss this with someone with you. Amen. Let's get on with discussions. <clears throat>